Welcome to A Waldorf Journey, a podcast for teachers, parents, students, and people who are passionate about Waldorf education. I'm Meredith, and I am glad you're here. You can find show notes for this episode, along with a lot more useful content on my website, awaldorfjourney.com. While you're there, sign up for the newsletter to receive updates about new content on the blog and podcast. You can also follow me on Twitter and Facebook as A Waldorf Journey. Today is Monday, April 24th, and this is episode number 16. I'm happy to talk with you today about something that will really apply to your teaching life, and that is the art of planning a main lesson. It really is an artistic experience that is a balance between form and freedom. So let's dive in and talk about it. Hello, everyone. I am so glad that you are with me today listening to this podcast. I have been hearing from more and more of you who are reaching out and saying hello and letting me know that you're really enjoying listening to this podcast, which I'm so glad to hear. And I am certainly enjoying recording it for you. If you are brand new to the podcast, welcome. If this happens to be your first uh, episode that you are listening to a Waldorf Journey podcast. Um, Great. I'm so glad you're here. I am Meredith and I am currently teaching eighth grade at a Waldorf school. Uh, And next year, which will happen before we know it, I will be teaching a brand new class of first graders. So I'm really looking forward to sharing a lot of that journey with my listeners and uh, people who follow along on my blog. So, um, So anyway, let's go ahead and get started. The first thing I wanted to mention was um, some of you have let me know that you have found me on Patreon. And if you don't know what Patreon is, it is a format where you can support creators of content who you appreciate. And it kind of uses the, the sort of NPR model uh, with this idea that you can just with a monetary donation support people who create um, content that you, like I said, that, that you appreciate. So if you appreciate a Waldorf journey, head on over to Patreon. You can either search their database for um, for creators and you'll find me under a Waldorf journey. Um, but I'll also link over to my page there on the um, on my, the blog post that goes with this episode and in the show notes if you're listening um, through whatever uh, podcast player you like to listen through. So um, yeah, head over to Patreon. Consider giving just a little bit um, to support the podcast. It really does help to cover those hosting fees for the website and the podcast. I definitely appreciate your support however you decide to express it, whether it is an email to me or a donation on Patreon or a review or star rating on iTunes. If you listen to this podcast through iTunes, please do uh, head over there and leave a comment or a review. It helps other people find the podcast and kind of boosts us up in the ratings and um, yeah, just lets people know what what we're doing over here at A Waldorf Journey. So, So thank you for that as well. 
Okay, and the last little bit of housekeeping I wanted to mention is if you would like to become a part of the A Waldorf Journey mailing list where you'll receive updates about um, the podcast or the blog uh, straight into your email bot your email inbox, then um, you can pull out your phone and text to the number 444-999. Text the word Waldorf, all in caps. And when you do that, it will, uh, the service will text you back and you can text back with your email address and you'll get automatically added to my email list, which is a great way to find out about what's going on on a Waldorf journey, uh, when new blog posts come out, when new podcast episodes come out, all of that great stuff. And um, I even send you a, um, I have a number of sort of free giveaways so um, that you can opt into. So uh, I can let you know about those and um, they'll uh, become available to you when you subscribe. So, um, all right. And included in that, there's a chalkboard drawing guide. There is a, um, a Waldorf home resources guide. There are a number of different things I've done. I've offered um, for people who subscribe to my list. So um, I encourage you to become a part of that. Okay, so let's go ahead and dive in because this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. This is one of those things where you know when you get a teacher talking about her work and uh, you can't get her to stop talking about her work because she's, she loves it so much. This is that kind of episode. So uh, I am so excited to talk to you about uh, planning a main lesson because I've been getting some pretty specific questions lately that really are are all about planning a lesson. And I know that not all of my audience members are teachers, but if you're not a teacher and you kind of wonder what's going on in the head of your child's teacher, then this is a really good episode to listen to also. And if you are a homeschooler and you uh, you know, are constantly trying to put together and plan your lessons, this is a great episode for you too. So, so the topic of this uh, episode episode as I uh, am sort of naming it is the idea of um, it's the art of planning a main lesson, especially seeing it as a balance between form and freedom. And, you know, this idea of the balance between form and freedom, when I think about it, it's that it's almost what the human condition is in a sense. We're constantly being pulled in these two different directions, like the form of rules and structure and governance and versus the freedom of free choice and uh, doing what you want and feeling liberated, all of those things. We're constantly held in the balance of these two ideas. And planning a main lesson is no different. And in fact, it when I think about how about planning my lesson, the idea of form and freedom comes into play in a really strong way. And I wanted to talk exactly about how that is. Now, the first thing I'll mention is that if you haven't listened to episode number nine of this podcast, it is a good one to listen to before listening to this episode because it goes through a main lesson and the specific components that that 
come together to create that main lesson. And that will really inform and make this podcast episode make a lot more sense to you. So I suggest you go listen to that. And if you you can always listen to it afterwards too, if you want. But um, yeah, like I said, it'll just make a little bit more sense and you'll understand more about the different components that I talk about in this episode. So there are a lot of different things that go into your planning and the choices that a teacher makes when planning her lessons. And um, the question that often comes up for me is, how much do I plan ahead? How much do I kind of go with this idea of form and structure by planning and predetermining the content of my lessons? And how much do I stay flexible and allow for the freedom that will come in other ways? So when I think about this to balance this this idea of form and freedom, There are some different things, different aspects of the lesson and the components of the main lesson that that bring those different qualities. So first, let's look at sort of the form side of that equation. And if we look at, at aspects of our curriculum and things that go into our planning that bring a lot more form, we can look at uh, things like the curriculum, right? So there's the block that we're teaching. There are certain stories that we feel like we just have to tell. For example, if you're teaching seventh grade Renaissance, um, you really have to tell the story of Joan of Arc. I should say some people tell that story at the end of sixth grade, which is also appropriate, but um it's a story that is not to be missed for sure. Uh, if you are teaching fourth grade, you are going to tell stories about the Norse myths. And that isn't really a choice. That is something that is pretty defined, pretty well defined in the Waldorf curriculum in a really beautiful way. Like, don't get me wrong, we're grateful for that form. I'm constantly, every day, astounded by the brilliance and genius of this Waldorf curriculum and how well it meets my students at every step of the way better than I could probably have predicted and better than they certainly could, my students themselves could have um, uh, understood and and planned. So, um, So the curriculum will definitely be a formative force in our lesson planning. Um, Secondly, you might have resource limitations. You might have, you know, back in August when you were getting ready to teach, you may have gathered all of the resources that you were using. Maybe they were recommendations by teachers in uh, a a teacher training program. Maybe they were resources that were handed down to you from uh, from teachers ahead of you. Um, whatever it may be, maybe it's a, a curriculum that you purchased. Uh, whatever it may be, there may you might have limitations that provide form based on the resources that you have available to you. Um, oh, the library. That's I will tell you that it's I use the library more than any 
other resource for sure in my planning. And it, uh, I know that the resources that I choose, that I end up choosing at the library, uh, have a formative force on my uh, planning of my lessons. So that that's another limitation that we might have. Um, thirdly, there are probably, I hope, specific skills that you want your students to learn and that those are prescribed and defined. So whether you have looked in the big yellow book that uh, I refer to often, I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, it's the educational tasks and content of the Steiner Waldorf curriculum. And uh, whether it's that you've looked at that and that has given you suggestions for uh, skills that you want to teach, uh, or you are consulting, you know, other mainstream resources like what your fifth grader needs to know kind of books, uh, whatever it may be, there are specific skills that you probably want your students to learn during this and during any specific block. So that will provide another for another uh, formative force in your lesson planning. And then fourthly, you might, you certainly will have time limitations. You know, there might be so many different things under the sun that you want to teach to your students, stories you want to tell them, um, activities you want to do with them that uh, you may have to limit based on the time, the amount of time that you have with them. So so these are all things that are going to kind of constrict and give form to our lesson choices and our planning. So of course, on the other side of the coin, there are all kinds of things that draw us towards freedom and that want help us to um, to see the value of allowing some sense of freedom in our lesson planning. So what are the things in our lesson planning that that inspire freedom, that inspire a sense of wanting to remain flexible in our planning? And for me, those things are, first of all, teacher interest. The things that I am interested in, I naturally want to follow those things and I want to make sure that my lessons allow for enough flexibility to follow those interests. Um, secondly, there's the interests of my students, right? So whether it's about the new content that I bring to them, or if it's about the the skills and the the work that they do with the content that I bring to them, I want to allow some flexibility in my lessons so that I can accommodate my students' interests, right? And then finally, the third thing that comes so frequently for me is that little bit of magic that can happen overnight. So uh, if you tell a story and, you know, this is one of those things that Waldorf education is just so known for in that you tell a story one day and you don't work with that story on that very same day. You don't penetrate it and process it with the students on that same day. You tell the story and then you let it rest. And the students take it home with them and they go to bed. And as they're sleeping, the story sort of works upon them in their imaginations. And then they wake up the next morning with it having been transformed. And we've all had experiences like that where we have some 
some problem or some issue or something that we're really dwelling with. Uh, and when we are thinking about it a lot right before we go to bed, and then very often we wake up the next morning with some epiphany, some brilliant idea about how to handle that thing. That's the magic that I'm talking about. And if you plan your lessons, if your lessons are so well formed in the planning, then you're not allowing the flexibility to let those things come and to follow the inspiration that comes in both your students and yourself, because this will happen for you just as much as it happens for your students, it will happen for you. So how can we take all of these things, the formed aspects of our lessons and the more free aspects of our lessons and combine them to create a brilliant lesson that is the perfect combination of form and freedom? Well, I think the best thing is to really kind of go through and talk about each one of these aspects and see how does it come into our lessons and where where do we allow form and where do we allow freedom? Because you really can't go entirely one direction or another. So for example, when I was in my teacher training, I remember um, my in my teacher telling us that if you go too far into the planning and so that every bit of your lesson is planned weeks or months uh, in advance, then that's not really Waldorf teaching because it doesn't incorporate that sort of responsive um that nature that that really takes advantage of the night and the the transformation that happens in our stories when uh, children go to sleep with them. So, so we have to allow for that in order to be really truly effective Waldorf teachers. We have to allow for that trans transformation. And so that's why you'll often find if you have ever purchased any of my curriculum guides, I am very, um, I don't give a lot of information about the review activities that you can do with your students. Uh, and this is because of that. And in fact, when I write, when I write out my lessons uh, and plan the block as I'm looking ahead, I don't plan those review activities. So, so, but I do have some sort of a plan. So let's, why don't we go ahead and talk about that? So the place where you your lessons are going to be probably the most formed is when is is with the new content so you will probably uh, you know, and the history is is probably the best example of this. If you are teaching a history block, you will find that there are stories that you just have to tell. You have to tell fifth graders about Alexander the Great, right? You have to tell sixth or seventh graders about Joan of Arc. You have to tell eighth graders about Napoleon and Abraham Lincoln. Those are the things uh, you have to tell fifth graders about Buddha. These are aspects of the 
curriculum that are pretty well formed. And if you are looking at the, if you're using the Waldorf curriculum a bit more creatively, or if you're, if you're teaching a combined class and you have to make some accommodations and flexibilities, of course, you, you need to do those and uh, understand your reasons for doing it and go ahead and do it. Um, but the point is to not miss out on some of those uh, really important formative stories. So that's, for me, the probably the most formed that my lessons are is when, especially I'm teaching a history block, and I know that there are certain stories that I just have to tell. So the other aspect, of course, is in the skill building and in the skills that I want for my students to learn. I want for my students to learn how to write a five-paragraph essay. I want them to know how to correctly punctuate a piece of direct speech. I want for them to know comma rules. All of these things. I want for them to know how to simplify fractions. These are things that are pretty well formed, and I'm not going to flex on them uh, because my students aren't interested or I don't feel like teaching it that day. So there, these are things that are pretty well dictated in, uh, our, in our planning and that we, we can feel free to confidently put in our lesson plan when those things will be taught. Of course, I never write in my lessons in pen, so don't go that far because you never know what might happen. But but you do, it's it's fine for you to say, this is a formed part of my lesson. I know that this is something that I will be teaching, and this is not up to um, sort of the flexibility of, of freedom. So, um, and uh, yeah, and then those resources. Well, as I mentioned earlier, those resources can certainly um, act as a limiting, so, a limiting uh, force that will really uh, help to narrow. And now, I want to emphasize also that this is really a blessing because too much freedom can leave you sort of feeling uncertain about where to go and what to do. If you know that you can teach your students anything under the sun, that could actually be a pretty paralyzing idea. How could you, how can you possibly choose what to teach them? So it's, it's, I find it somewhat relieving to have some level of form that uh, dictate how the, the content of my lessons. So let's take now a look at freedom and where are the places where freedom comes into our planning and that we can add more flexibility and, um, yeah, and understanding into our lessons. Um, the first thing I mentioned, of course, is teacher interest. Now, it is absolutely fine in some blocks for you to teach a biography that spoke particularly strongly to you. Uh, for example, with, in, with my first class, I told, um, when we studied North American geography, I told them a whole story about the my own family's migration west and uh and what that was like for them and i did that because it was a story that just resonated so strongly with me and because of that it resonated strongly with them as well so 
it's fine to follow your own interests. I think that many teachers find that their most innovative, creative, um, joyful lessons are the ones when they are teaching something, a subject that they have a particular affinity for. So feel free in some ways to follow your own interests. And there are certain subjects, of course, that lend themselves more to that than others. So for example, uh, though history might be a little bit more formed and dictated, uh, geography is a place where we often have a lot of flexibility. We want to give our students a feeling, a sense of feeling for the place that they're learning about, but we can do that through all kinds of different stories. You know, we want to choose stories that definitely give a picture of the place, but as I said, you can do you can choose so many different kinds of stories that will accomplish that same um that same idea. So um, the other thing, and then, oh, another block that can really lend itself to this is a math block. So uh, very often when uh, Waldorf teachers teach a math block, they will have kind of a, a container story that supports the, the factual content, the skill building content of the block. And this is a great way for you to build in some of your own interests into the content, the new content that you are teaching your students. So, um, for example, I, uh, when I taught fifth grade, I think I did a similar uh, container story both times uh, in order to facilitate our review of um, of place value and then our extension of place value to the other side of the decimal point. I told the story of a chocolate factory and the place value uh, components were, of course, there was the bar of chocolate and then 10 bars went in a box and then 10 boxes went in a crate, 10 crates on a truck and so on and so on. So that gave us this story uh, to explore the idea of uh, of place value. And it was a story that really spoke to me, perhaps revealing something about my temperament, but also uh, to a lot of my students as well. So, so that's a really um, good, uh, a good block, another good subject to uh, look for ways to incorporate your own interests. And of course, this applies to your students as well. So you may encounter a story that you know is going to speak really well to your students, or you may decide that you're going to have a math container story that really speaks well to your student's love of soccer or whatever it may be. And that is a great thing to do. This is certainly a bit of freedom that we want to allow for in our lesson planning. Now, the other area where the teacher interest and student interest um, ideas really come into play is with the skill building work that you do. So you may have a group of students who are naturally drawn to drawing and that any story you tell, uh, every any imaginative story, they want to draw a picture of it. Now, very often, it's fine for you to follow that impulse. You want to give them guidance to sort of support what their strengths are and what their interests are. 
However, you have to balance that with the skills that you know that you want them to teach, that you want them to learn. So this is a real a, a place where you can really see that that balance between form and freedom coming into play. You can't always let them draw or you can't always let them write. You have to really balance. And uh, for me, that's where I have to be really cautious because my I love to write. And that is, so my tendency would be to have my students write about all of the, the subjects that we explore. But I need to recognize that I first I need to follow their interests uh, as well. But I also need to consider the skills that they that I want for them to learn uh, as we go along. Now, many Waldorf teachers and parents and students love the freedom aspect of Waldorf education. I mean, one of the the most beautiful things about our way of working is that we do not have many of the constraints that are put upon uh, teachers uh, at typical public schools. So we love that. We appreciate that. And so because of that, some teachers, parents, and students actually have chosen the school for that freedom because that freedom is possible. But uh, so there's a danger in that, I suppose, is what I'm saying, that there is, I caution you to make sure that you're not employing too much freedom because if you allow for too much freedom and you uh, you have the idea, you approach your lessons with the idea that they'll sort of naturally form and respond and, and be very innovative and responsive in a very positive way, then you're, you are uh, in danger of missing out on some of those qualities that you that can only come from a more formed curriculum. So what do I mean by that? Well, the best way for me to sort of share is to talk about my planning process and what I've seen lots of other Waldorf teachers do when it comes to their planning. So as I think about it, the aspects of my planning that are the most formed are the parts of the planning that are kind of the the largest picture. So when I am looking at my the my view of the entire school year and I'm laying out all of the blocks and I'm looking at how what blocks are going to go where and how they're organized and structured, I'm not really yet looking at the actual content of the blocks, but I'm just mapping them out on the calendar. That is actually very formed. So I'm not even looking at content yet. I'm just looking at the weeks. I'm looking at the time that these blocks are going to happen. And it is rare these days that I shift that in any way. This year was a little different because we had so many snow days that uh, there was quite a bit of uh, rearranging of blocks and things. But generally, that's pretty formed and decided and set. And there isn't a lot of teacher freedom or um, individual interest at play in figuring that stuff out. And But as I narrow my focus, my options for flexibility become greater. So let's take a look at the next. So that's my year as a whole planning. Next, I take a look at each sort of 
mostly it's month by month. I look at each individual block, which usually takes up about the time uh, of a month. And when I plan out my, my block, I usually will map out the content, plan what stories I'm going to tell. And there is some amount of flexibility that comes into there. Sometimes I consult the traditional Waldorf curriculum uh, recommendations. And other times I think about things that I'm more interested in and stories that I personally want to share with my students. But generally, I'm following a pre- I'm following the curriculum. I'm following the, the ideas that have been presented to me either in my teacher training or in the curriculum materials that I'm using to prepare. So, so it's a little bit more flexible, um, more in terms of when I tell what story, I suppose, but it's still pretty well formed. And then as I get closer and I'm narrowing my focus so that I'm looking at maybe the week that is coming, this is the place where I really start to think much more flexibly. And so when Sunday night comes and I'm looking at my at the week that is coming and I at that point, I know what stories I'm going to tell. I've got them sort of in my head. I'm thinking about them, pondering them, and getting ready to present that content. I do not, at the beginning of the week, plan out, okay, on Tuesday, we're going to write a composition. On Wednesday, we're going to do a drawing. Uh, I don't prescribe it so strictly. Um there are certainly times, and I guess I would it would be uh, not entirely truthful for me to say that I don't enter that I enter the week without any preconceived idea of what we're going to do. Um, I absolutely do enter into the week generally with the idea that I'm going to have my students do a composition, a drawing, and a dictation. Now, I know that that will happen in the week. And very often I will have an idea that, okay, this story really lends itself best to writing a composition. This story really lends itself to doing a drawing, but I don't decide that ahead of time. And so, uh, so I'll tell the story. So that's, that's how I enter into the week. I suppose I do have, it's, it's, formed in that I know that they're going to do these three activities generally. Sometimes towards the end of the block, we maybe don't do the composition um, or there might be something else, you know, that we we flex on a little bit. But those are the three things. And I've been doing that pretty much since I want to say fifth grade where they do those three things just about every week. So that uh, So that's how I start the week. Then as the week goes on, I tell the story. So you can imagine when on Monday, I tell the story for Monday's new content. Then we all go away and we go home and we think about that story. And maybe I had in mind that that story was going to lend itself to a composition. I do kind of like to do compositions earlier in the week because they often require a more sort of lengthy process, right? I want them to be able to write and then I want to give feedback and have them edit and that kind of thing. But 
So it's nice if it works out that the composition assignment is early in the week, but I don't always just decide that that's what it's going to be. So <clears throat> then, so I've told the story, we've thought about it, we go home, we sleep on it, and then I may have thought as I was going to bed, I think it would be good for them to do a composition with this uh, story. And then it's not until I wake up in the morning, the morning of that lesson when we're going to do that review activity, that I actually decide what that yes, they are going to do a composition assignment and specifically what the writing prompt is going to be. What part of the story are they going to retell or what, um, yeah, what question am I going to ask about the content to have them write about? So it's not really until that morning that I have decided that. And then I will say that there are times when uh, I have an idea, it's written down in my lesson planning book. I stand in front of them and in front of my students, and then we start to review the activities or review the story from the day before. And I can hear in their voices and in their retelling that the part of the story that I predicted would speak most strongly to them didn't. And that there was some other part of the story that actually was much uh, stronger and more uh, just resonated strongly for them. And I have uh, shifted and given a completely different composition assignment based on their own, on their input in during that review portion. Now, this sounds like, oh, it's easy. You don't have to do your planning, but that's not true <laughs> because the, the planning is one, the thinking about the story, but then also having those ideas of what you could do and the flexibility to be able to choose among them. So if you're a brand new teacher, you might need to be prepared. You might need to prepare three or four different writing prompts so that you can give the one that your students actually prompted in the, your review of the main lesson content from the day before. So it's not that you don't have to prepare. It's actually you, you kind of have to prepare more. As you get more experienced, those ideas come to you much more easily. And so the, the preparation for them um, just happens kind of naturally in the moment. So that I think is just a quick little example of how I have, how I imagine these two ideas of form and freedom um, coming into the planning of your lessons. So I hope you have found this helpful in some way. In some, at some points during this podcast, I felt like I was rambling a little bit just talking about the way I like to do things. So um, let me know if this was at all helpful to you and if you found it, you know, that any aspect of it resonated. I think it, you know, this is a topic it gets pretty specific to the teacher's experience. So if you're a teacher... And maybe this resonated with you and uh, made a lot of sense. And I'd love to hear if you do things differently, if you find a different way of balancing these two ideas of form and freedom that's, you know, 
preparation versus responsiveness. I just, I love, I love the idea of this. I love thinking about the different ways that those things come into play in my uh, planning and, uh, and how they form my lessons. So the next thing I wanted to go on to in this episode is a listener question. And I think I'm going to do this in just about every episode. So if you have any questions that you'd like for me to talk about, please send me an email. You can uh, send it to Meredith at a waldorfjourney.com. That's Meredith, M-E-R-E-D-I-T-H at a waldorfjourney.com. And you can, yeah, send me a question and not, maybe I'll uh, answer it on this uh, on a future podcast episode. So um, I'm getting lots of questions these days. Some of them are pretty specific. And this one I was really excited to talk about too, because it's actually something that I, I don't have a completely formed uh, right or wrong answer for. So this uh, listener asked the question about, and I don't have the exact text in front of me, but she asked, if Waldorf teachers, especially kindergarten teachers, can wear black. I loved reading this question because it's something that I have thought about um, a fair amount, especially as I am looking to turn around and teach first grade next year. So here's what I think about this. Um, The color black is something that is hotly contested in the Waldorf world. And there's one of those sort of Waldorf dogma Steiner said kind of things is that um, black crayons should not be allowed in the kindergarten. And I don't, maybe, maybe people say he said even later in the grades as well. I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure because I actually don't put a lot of stock into that. When I was in my teacher training, they, my teachers told me that of course they would want to have black in their, uh, in any classroom. And, um, one, because it would allow for, you know, flexibility in drawing. Like there are things that you just want to have a black crayon to be able to draw. But for two, if a child is overly drawn to the color black, like if all they are doing is drawing with the color black, then that could be something to watch for and maybe something to just it let us know that there's there might be something going on there. So um, so it can be a real, it can be a tool, I guess is what I'm saying. So I haven't, I just also, for one, I just don't put a lot of stock into Waldorf dogma. It is one of the aspects of Waldorf education that was, that I actually found off-putting when I first discovered Waldorf education. I didn't understand all of these different rules that there were, and I, they didn't really resonate. They if in an intuitive way to me, like I didn't understand why was it better for a child to play the violin than the piano or, uh, why was it but Why do we not allow children to wear the color black? These were things that didn't really make sense to me until I learned more and, and they felt like just kind of arbitrary rules. And I am not a fan of arbitrary rules. And I mentioned this in my, I think it was the very first episode when I talked about my teacher training experience, how I felt like, 
in when I first started my teacher training that Waldorf was just a collection of rules that I needed to learn and then follow. But that was really hard to do because the the this collection of rules really didn't have any um I just didn't have any intuitive connection to them. And so how could I really know what they all were without just memorizing them somehow? So it just didn't make a lot of sense. And I, I'm kind of against those Steiner said rules that you sometimes see. So I kind of think, well, okay, let's just say part of me thinks that this question about teachers being able to wear the color black falls into that category. And I did a little bit of research online ahead of time. I mean, a very little bit, just looking to see if there, if anyone else had given a pretty good answer to this question that I could refer to. And I didn't really find a good answer. So, um, for me, all I can talk about is my own feeling and my own sense. I love to wear the color black. I wear it probably every day um, with my eighth graders, and it feels fine to me. I do not have a problem wearing the color black with my eighth grade class. I think I started wearing, I think I've always worn black, but I started wearing as much black as I do now, probably at the end of sixth grade, I think. Um, I guess, and I am mindful that I will probably, when I turn around next year and start teaching first graders, I will probably not wear as much black. I say probably, uh, I'm not sure. I guess I'll see how I feel, but there is something in me that makes me feel that surrounding student, younger students with that with a lot of black isn't quite the right thing for them. Now, what can I, how, what do I base that on? Um, you know, it's, it's really a feeling. It's that sort of intuitive sense. Um, I like to see children surrounded by color. I think it, um, can lift their spirits and, um, it, and just is a bit more cheerful. So I guess, that's really the best answer I can give. I know that some of the kindergarten teachers at my school wear black on occasion. And, uh, and I think it's fine. I've seen actually not just at my school, I've seen kindergarten teachers at lots of different schools wear black on occasion. They don't tend to wear uninterrupted black. Um, they usually wear an apron over whatever they're wearing. So that provides some bit of color. Uh, but yeah, I guess I, I hope this is a helpful answer. There might be some resource out there that will give you a much more definitive answer. But as with everything, sort of my mantra is observe your children, study child development, and follow your intuition. And so if you're doing those three things and you feel like those three things are telling you that it's okay to wear black, then you're probably right. And uh, if you're doing those three things and your intuition is telling you to not wear black, you're probably right there too. So um, <clears throat> I just want to empower people to uh, think about these things flexibly. Now, if you are um, concerned, you know, perhaps you're going to teach in a new school and you're 
you know, wondering what the the customs or the practices are at that school. I have been to schools that have a pretty strong sense about um, about the color black, about surrounding young children with the color black. So it would be smart to ask. Just talk to the people and if and err on the side of not wearing black if you're going for an interview, let's say. Um, but yeah, I think it's in general, my advice is always just to, you know, yeah, you follow your intuition as long as you are basing it on observation and an understanding of child development. So, so I hope that that helps. And if anyone has a resource that gives a much more thorough answer, please share it in the comments for this episode, or you can email it to me at Meredith, M-E-R-E-D-I-T-H at awaldorfjourney.com. So Anyway, that's all I've got for this episode. I would love to hear from you. Please email me. Let me know what you're thinking about. If there's anything you want to hear me talk about, I would love to do it. I'd love to know what those things are and um, bring it to you on a future episode. So until then, I hope you have a, a great time with your students or children, and I will talk to you soon.